Just return if you look to God in prayer.
there's nothing worth more that will ever come close nothing can you are a good, good father to us. Lord, I thank you that you are glad to be with us, to meet with us. Lord, to rekindle our hearts with your love for us. Thank you, Lord. My hope is built on nothing. 
Please be seated. If you guys want to flip over to our text for the day, it's going to be from 1 John chapter 5. This is one of my favorite topics to preach on, so needless to say, I'm excited. 1 John chapter 5, and we're going to kick it off with verse 9. John says, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life And this life is in his son. Whoever has a son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have towards him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. All right, great passage. We're talking about assurance tonight, and I want to uh, start off by telling you a little bit of a story of when I was growing up. 
So I grew up on Sullivan's Island. It's a little barrier island off uh, the coast of Charleston. And so I grew up as kind of a beach-going kid. But later in high school, my parents moved to the country. And they moved to this house that was on the, the, um, what's it called? The thoroughfare that, help me out here. You know where the boats go, the big? Intercoastal Waterway, there you go. Cooper River, somebody knows their Charleston facts. There you go. Um, Intercoastal Waterway. So it was right on the Intercoastal Waterway, and it was really cool because it had literally miles of marshes around to explore. And so, and I, and I knew nothing of the marsh being, being a beach boy. So, and the cool thing about this house, to let you guys in on a little secret, it's not a secret, but um, is that we got, as part of the package, we got an old Boston Whaler. And it was, so, we, so my parents basically said, go explore. And so my friends and I would just ride around in this old Boston Whaler. And we loved to go fishing. And none of us were good fishermen, but uh, we enjoyed it anyways. And so we would go out uh, to this little spot. It was um, a canal through which there was two barrier islands and the, the tide would go in and out. And so, if you know anything about fishing, um, most of the time you're going to want to anchor to be able to fish pretty well. And so, we struggled with anchoring because the anchor was, I don't want to call it the worst anchor in the world, but it was terrible. It wasn't very heavy, and it wasn't shaped very well to catch anything. And so, basically think of like a light cannonball and throwing it in the water and hoping it catches something. That's what we were working with. So, what, what the experience would be is we would go and we would drive out to right where the water would start coming in, and then we would throw the anchor down. And the majority of the time, it would just drag and drag and drag and drag all the way till we were all the way on the inland, and then we'd have to drive back out. And it was usually like a 30-minute affair. If you've ever worked with a bad anchor, you know what I'm talking about. And so it was, it was an incredible pain in the rear. Um, and today, I'm, I, what I want to talk about, and we're going to be looking at the post-communion prayer to talk about it, is how do we, in our relationship to God, how do we get an anchor that's strong enough that we're not just drifting around, that we're not just doubting, God, do you love me? Are you here with me? How do I know that you're here with me? How do we get something that anchors us deep enough in God that we can rest and all the promises that he gives us. And so, if you've been following along, uh, if you've come to each of the ones, you know where we are in the post-communion prayer. We started out with Almighty and Ever-Living God, and Mike unpacked that, and then we talked about thank you for feeding us with spiritual food, and we heard a little sacramental theology from Mike, which I'm sure was interesting. And then it says, we thank you for feeding us with the spiritual food of the most precious body and blood. And then it says this, and for assuring us in these mysteries that we are living members of the body of your son. And so today we're going to be talking about assurance. We're going to be talking about assurance. And and to me, this is probably one of the most central aspects of the faith. That if you get assurance wrong, you get everything else wrong. If you look at any discipleship manuals, generally they start in the very beginning with assurance of faith, assurance of salvation, assurance of God's love for us. How do we get assurance? Why do we need assurance? So I want to first talk about why do we need it? Well, oftentimes, much of the time, our spiritual life feels like me and my friends throwing the anchor in and trying to line things up right that we can know, okay, God loves us. How do, we, how do we get things just right that we can feel? Like, you know those weeks where you're like, I'm really, I have my, I have my quiet time like every morning. I haven't yelled at my kids yet. Uh, you know, things, I'm loving my spouse. And you're like, man, God must really love me. Like, I'm being a real good child. And then there's the rest of life where we're like, I'm a miserable failure and God sure, certainly can't love me. And so we end up playing this kind of anchoring game where how can we anchor ourselves in God's love? How can we get down deep enough to know that he loves us? Um, and this comes particularly uh, to the forefront of our lives when we're going through tough stuff. Where we're mainly, where maybe we're struggling with the sin and it just keeps beating us. Or we're struggling with temptation. Or we are um, undergoing suffering, some trials maybe at work, a death of a loved one. And it feels like we are on an ocean and it's not just a current or a tide that's coming in. It's the storm and you're just getting tossed to and fro. And we begin to ask, does God really love me? Am I really a child of God? When I made that profession of faith back then, did it stick? Have I done something so bad that maybe God's withdrawn himself from me? Or he's like, yeah, maybe I'll save you, but that's all you're going to get in this life. 
And this is important because when I was in college, there was a guy who taught Bible at, at my school, University of South Carolina. It was, this was a, a pretty liberal scholar. And I remember being in his class, he was teaching on Paul, and he said, Paul never knew if he was saved or not. Paul never knew if he was saved or not. And we never know if we're saved or not. Paul went to his dying day saying, God, I hope I'm, I, I get to be with you in eternity. And that really haunted me. That really scared me because I was like, I feel like I've read the Bible and that's not true. But, um, and then uh, I'll never forget a friend of mine was bemoaning his pastor um, who had preached a sermon um, that he called uh, Butt Prince in the Sand. And you guys are probably familiar with the old uh, passage about, or the, not passage, the story about footprints in the sand. And is everybody familiar with that? There's two people walking, or there's two footprints, and then there's one footprint. And the person's like, God, why'd you leave me? And God, and it's a touching story. God says, I carried you. I carried you during that time that was the darkest of time. And he said that his pastor preached a sermon that basically was like, hey, if you mess up, or if you're not faithful, God's going to drop your butt in the sand. And there's going to be butt prints in the sand. And, and, and like both of us were just shaking our heads saying like, this is messed up. Um, and so the question is, so we need assurance. And so the, the question is, how do we get assurance? How do we know that, that we have assurance of salvation? That God's not going to, you know, we're not going to look back at the story of our life and see that God has dropped us. And so I want to hone in on verse 11, 12, and 13 in the text. And then we're going to be looking at a couple other passages that can help us out with this. Verse 11 says this, And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So obviously, my professor, I don't know what Bible he was reading, but he wasn't reading the Bible that we're reading right now because can we have assurance? Yes. Yes, God wants us to know, to know that we know that we can have total assurance. He wants us to know what I'm going to call the objective reality, that whether we feel it or not, objectively, we can have assurance. Even on our worst of days, even right after you've done the worst of sins, you can be assured that God loves you and that you're his child and that you're going to be with him for eternity if you have faith in Christ. And faith in Christ is just trusting in Christ. So we can know beyond the shadow of a doubt. So then my question would be, and I think most of us would mentally assent to that. Okay, yes, that's good. I've heard this before. So then why do we so often doubt it in our everyday life is the question, Right? I mean, and, and this isn't, I'm not posing this question to you, like, why do you doubt it? I, I pose this question to myself. Why do I doubt it? Why do I so often ride on that ocean and feel totally unfettered from God's love? Well, the reality is that most of us get our assurance, or we try to get our assurance through subjective experience. So I talked about how we can have the objective reality that we are assured of God's love for us, but we often try to look for assurance through our subjective experience, through our feelings, through, encount through our encounter of God's love. And so, like I was saying, we try to kind of line everything up and make sure we get it right, and we're saying, okay, if I can just live right and do right, God will love me. But oftentimes, what, this, is, this is the weird thing. Our subjective experience actually leads us to insecurity of God's love. Why? Because it's starting to depend on us, isn't it? Do we have to become worthy? Now I'm going to throw it back to 1654. This is a, uh, a Puritan named Thomas Brooks. And so in case you're wondering, is this just like a 21st century problem, this, you know, struggling with assurance? Um, it's not. Thomas Brooks says this. He says, Assurance is the believer's ark where he sits. Noah-like, quiet, and still in the midst of distractions and destructions, commotions and confusions. And so assurance is supposed to be our bedrock. It's supposed to be that place that we can sit and rest. But he goes on. He says, However, most Christians live between fears and hopes and hang, as it were, between heaven and hell. 
Sometimes they hope that their state is good, and at other times they fear that their state is bad. Today they hope that all is well and that it shall go well with them forever. Good day. Tomorrow they fear that they should perish by the hand of such a corruption or by a prevalency of such a temptation. They're like a ship and a storm tossed here and there. And I have to confess, that feels like my experience, my spiritual experience most of the time, just kind of tossed around. And so it's not that objective, subjective experience, it's not that our, our feeling of God's love is a bad thing, but it's not our bedrock for assurance. And it will drive you crazy if that's what you look to to try to be assured is, am I feeling it? Am I feeling God? So the question is, where does assurance come from? I'm going to read John one more time because I want First John to get into your mind. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. It comes through the Son. The objective reality of what the Son of God has done for us. Not what we do, not whether we're worthy, but but what He's done. That He's been worthy. And I want to give you guys a... A quick um, illustration for you to help to help you guys because it never really made sense for me until somebody really laid this out. And, and this illustration is meant to be for us an illustration of a doctrine because there's a doctrine that's so important that I'm going to talk about it on Wednesday worship. Um, it's the doctrine of justification. Big word. If you have been in my foundations class. You're probably somewhat familiar with this illustration because I try to tell it to everybody because I think it's so important. Um, But justification. And so, we oftentimes try to justify ourselves. And that's what I was talking about when I was talking about that idea of making ourselves worthy of God's love. That I'm only going to let myself feel God's love. I'm only going to know that I'm loved when I do a good job, when I'm worthy of it. And it's a way that we, in a sense, justify ourselves before God. Say, God, I'm worthy. And so right here is my resume. Um, This is is my resume that I sent to Grace Anglican Church. Um, But what I want to do is to pretend like this is my whole life. Everything that I've done. Both good and bad. All right? There's probably lots of things that would be on this that I wouldn't even know about. And this is what we try to do. We try to say, God, look. I'm worthy of your love. I've done all these good things. Yeah, I've done some bad things, but am I worthy? And we all know, no man can save himself. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. There's nothing we can do to be made worthy. And so that's where the objective reality has to come into play. That's where we need someone outside of ourselves to justify us because we can't justify ourselves. And so all of us know that Jesus lived a perfect life, right? Perfect life. Imagine that. He never sinned against anyone. He never hurt anyone by sinning against them. And he always obeyed God. And so if you Google Jesus' resume, this is what you will find. You can find anything on Google. Um, (laughs) But uh, yes, this is, this is, and it was on somebody's LinkedIn page, which is really weird. Um, so this is Jesus Christ, Son of God. This is his resume. And so this is his life, the perfect life that he lived, right? That's the objective reality. Jesus lived a perfect life. Now, we all know that he died. We're going to be walking through that, the cross. Um, on, on Good Friday, we're going to be walking in the footsteps of Christ there. And so... What did, what did Jesus die for? All right, you can answer back. Sins, yeah. All right, it's our sins, right? Exactly. He died for us, for our sins. And so he took all of the, 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 the broken things on my resume and he broke the power of sin. He wiped away our sin forever. 
And the challenge is for me, once I came to Christ and I was so thankful for God's forgiveness, but this is how I felt. I felt, okay, God's wiped my slate clean, but what if I mess up? What if I'm not good enough? What if I'm not faithful? What if I'm not a good servant? And if God just left it there, then we wouldn't have assurance. If we had to earn the rest, if he said, I'll wipe away your sins, but from here on out, you better not sin or you don't get my love, we'd be in trouble, right? I hope you you think that because (laughs) we sin every single day. And so here's the doctrine of justification that this, Christ's resume, Christ's righteousness was given to us. A fancy, another fancy word is it was imputed to us. And so that we actually not only get our sin taken away, but we get Christ's righteousness given to us. So that when God looks at you, right right after you've done that thing that you've done a thousand times and you're ashamed, you don't have to doubt if he loves you. Because this is what he sees. He sees Jesus' perfect, spotless righteousness. We sang in that song, I dare not trust in anything but Jesus' blood and righteousness. And spotless will stand before God's throne because of Jesus' blood and righteousness that was given to us. That is the grounds for our assurance. That is how we know that no matter whether we're doing well in the Christian life or failing miserably, that's how we know that we are loved. It's faith in Christ. It's Christ alone. And I want to give us a visual to drive this point home. Hebrews 6 says this. 6.19, if you want to go there, you can. It says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It says, It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. So it says, We have an anchor. We have an anchor that we're attached to so that no matter what happens, we know that we are God's children. And that anchor is Christ himself. And so I want you to imagine that attached to your heart is a big old anchor chain. I think like a cruise ship anchor chain, like one of those like unbreakable ones. They're just gigantic. And it attaches, it says that it, go, that it goes back behind the veil. And if you know anything about the veil, it's the holy of holies. It's the place where God's presence is, where Christ is gone and sacrificed for our sins and is righteous before God, even as we speak. So our hearts are attached to this chain that goes back behind the veil into the very presence of God. That's our anchor. So when Satan tries to say, does God really love you? You can say, of course, God loves me because he loves his son. When you can say, am I going to do something in the future that's going to leave butt prints on the sand? Well, would God ever drop his son? Of course not. And that's what we are to God. We are as righteous to God as his very own son. And that's our assurance. And here's the deal. It's not us. It's Jesus that makes us righteous. It's Jesus that is our grounds for assurance, total assurance. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's, uh, I don't know. I mean, I think it's amazing. I hope you guys too. Um, And so Christ is the anchor of our assurance. And we sang, he says, Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love. And every high and stormy gale My anchor holds within the veil. And here's what I want to tell you. Whatever you're going through, whatever storm, whatever gale, whatever it is, your anchor will hold. Because Christ is your anchor. And he will never fail you. He will never forsake you. He will never leave you. It's good news. Christ is the anchor for our assurance. So what do we do with it? What's our application point? Um, we have a good 25 minutes left. What do we do with the rest of this time? Well, the good news is that, that that's the objective reality. 
that regardless of if we feel it or not, that's our objective reality. But the good news is that God says, I want you to feel it too. I don't want you to base, I don't want that to be your bedrock, your feelings on whether I love you or not. The bedrock is what Christ has done. But I also want you to experience my love. And there's a couple ways that he's given us to experience his love. And I'm going to give you them. They're the three holies. All right, the three holies are first off this, that the Holy Spirit is the one who makes us know that we are God's beloved. It's the Holy Spirit that makes us know that we are God's beloved children. Romans 8 verse 15 and 16 and 17 says this, You have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So we've been given, we've been adopted. And the Spirit himself bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God. And so the Spirit is the one who bears witness. So what I, the first thing I want to tell you guys today is if you're struggling, if you've always struggled with, am I a child of God? I want you to ask I want you to go and talk with one of the prayer ministers during the communion time, and I want you to tell them I'm struggling with this. And they're going to pray that the Holy Spirit would come on you and give you assurance that the Holy Spirit would bear witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. God does not want you to dwell in insecurity and uncertainty any longer. The second thing, second holy, is the Holy Spirit. Um, the Holy Spirit is also the one who makes us feel God's love. And this is a great passage that I didn't know about until Gus told me about it like a year ago. And it's just, it's powerful. It says, God's love has been poured into us. This is Romans 5, verse 5. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, whom he has given to us. So maybe you're like, okay, I, I, I know that, my, that I'm a child of God, but I, I would like to feel that I'm a child of God. We'll talk to a prayer minister today. Ask them to let the Holy Spirit pour his love into your heart. God loves to let us know that he loves us. And then the last one isn't the Holy Spirit, even though we could probably keep going on with the Holy Spirit. The last one is the Holy Communion. We pray week in and week out with the post-communion prayer. It's almighty and ever-living God. Thank you for feeding us with the spiritual food of the body and blood and for assuring us in these holy mysteries that we're living members of the body of your Son. Christ has given us communion as a visible, tangible, tasteable way to know that we're God's children and that he loves us. And this point was driven home for me during a time when I wasn't feeling God's love much at all. It was a time when I was in college, and for whatever reason, God, I, I just, I don't think it was sin. I knew that it was, I think it was, I knew that God loved me in my head, but it was, I hadn't experienced God's love in a long time. And communion became really important for me during that season of life. Because it was visible, it was tangible. I could taste God's love. I could smell God's love. I could experience God's love. And Jesus, in his mercy, gave us something to say, remember me. Remember what I've done for you. Remember that you are my child. And even on your hardest of days, you can come to church. Even on days when you can't come to church, somebody will come to you and give you the body and blood of Christ and remind you that you are a child of God. And you can taste it. And so today, seek the Holy Spirit if you need to know that you're a child of God. Secondly, if you want to feel that you're a child of God, pray. Ask for the Holy Spirit to help you feel that. And then finally, sometimes God doesn't always help, doesn't always let us feel him. But today, each one of you can come forward and taste that you're a child of God through communion. So I want to I want to go into a little bit of a time of prayer. Um, I want to thank God for the fact that he is the anchor of our assurance and that he's given us the Holy Spirit and the Holy Communion to taste and know. So let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, I just want to pray for every man, woman, and child in here. Lord, that you would assure them that you love them because of what Christ has done for them. Jesus, be our anchor. Hold on to us in the midst of everything that we're going through. Jesus, we pray the prayer that you taught us to pray. Together we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation Deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The Lord tells us he will make himself known to us in the breaking of the bread. So let's break bread together as God's people. The Lord is here. His spirit is with us. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and Father, we give thanks and praise through your beloved Son, Jesus Christ. Through him, you, you created all things and formed us in your image. And when we had sinned and fallen away, you sent him to be our salvation, to assure us of your love. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he took on flesh. As your son, born of the Virgin Mary, he lived on earth as one of us. He opened wide his arms for us on the cross and he put an end to death by dying for us and revealed the resurrection by rising to new life. In doing so, he fulfilled your will and won for you a holy and beloved people. On the night when he was handed over to suffering death, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks to you, he broke it. And gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. After supper, he took the cup of wine. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. So Holy Spirit, pour out on this ordinary bread and wine and make it the body and blood of your son, Jesus Christ, the spiritual food and drink for us, your children. As we eat and drink these gifts in your presence at your table, let them be for us assurance that we're your beloved children. And let them anchor us to Christ forever. All this we ask through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. These are the gifts of God, which were given for the beloved children of God. Now during this time, um, you're welcome to come up as, whenever you're ready. The prayer team is going to come up first and receive communion. And then after that, whenever you're ready, come on up. And like I said, feel free, if you're struggling with assurance, go talk with one of the prayer ministers. And each and every one of you come and eat at God's table. Be assured of his tangible love for you.
Christ the sure and steady anchor in the fury of the storm when the winds of doubt blow through me and my sails have all been torn in the suffering in the sorrow when my sinking hopes are Christ the sure and steady anchor While the tempest rages on When temptation claims the battle And it seems the night has won Deeper still then goes the anchor Though I justly stand accused I will hold Christ the sure and steady anchor Through the floods of unbelief Hopeless somehow, oh my soul Now lift your eyes to Calvary This my ballast of assurance the shore and steady anchor as we face the wave of death when these trials give way to glory as we draw our final breath we will cross that great horizon clouds behind and life secure and the
people of God, come what may this week, this year, this life, our anchor will hold within the veil because Christ has done it. Now let's return to him after eating at his table, after hearing his word. Let's pray together. Almighty and ever-living God, we thank you for feeding us with this spiritual food of the most precious body and blood of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and for assuring us in these holy mysteries that we are living members of the body of your Son and heirs of your eternal kingdom. And now, Father, send us out to do the work you have given us to do, to love and serve you as faithful witnesses of Christ our Lord. To him, to you, and to the Holy Spirit, be honor and glory, now and forever. Amen. Now receive this blessing from God. May the grace of God, freely given through Christ our Lord, and sufficient for all of our needs, and may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit who testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, may it guide us and sustain us this day and forever. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Amen. Feel free to grab refreshments on your way out. Please send that I